This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our July 9th, 2018 edition of Invest Talk. And I welcome you all to Market Week Monday. Uh, we try to give you a full wrap up of uh, what to expect in the coming week and, and kind of uh, where we're at uh, in the markets right now. I'm Justin Klein, and for those of you that visit our companion platform, investtalk.com, you may have noticed a simple yet bold statement on our website above average investing for the average investor and we mean that and for the web and for this radio program our goal with the invest talk platforms is to inform educate and guide you to making better overall money decisions now over time this will strengthen our relationship and it's very much a two-way street and that's why we rely uh, on your interactions and your phone calls and, and your messages and questions. And our phone lines are open right now at 888 chart. That's 888-992-4278. And we also encourage that you message us via the investtalk.com uh, website as well, especially with advanced technical questions or when you have concerns that will require more specialized handling. So, uh, and we can answer those off air as well. Now, Americans will not consider themselves wealthy unless they've accumulated assets worth how much. Now, most people do have a baseline minimum net worth in mind and a number they judge to be representative of personal wealth. $3 million, $2 million, whatever it is. But what do you think that figure is? Obviously, there's costs of raising children, taxes, living expenses, and spending habits on a daily basis all combined to reduce household net worth of the average American. We'll dig into this. You might be surprised by the answer of what that figure is. But now let's jump start this Monday Invest Talk with some stimulating questions from you, our listeners. So here's a question that came in before today's program on our 24-hour listener line at 888 chart This is Mike from Richmond, Virginia. I had a question about options trading. I'm currently uh, dipping into a few uh, small call option positions and wondered what the difference was between exercising the option and selling it outright. Thanks for taking my call. Love your show. Thanks. All right, that's a it's a great question. Uh, yeah, I like options selling. Let's say that you're talking about option buying. Uh, we do run a covered call strategy that that brings in option premiums for for clients. So, and I I like that strategy, and especially in this type of market. But buying call options, which is uh, for everybody else, it's the a, an option is the right to buy or sell something. So a call is the right to buy, uh, a put is the right to sell. Uh, and there's a certain strike price, and sometimes that's uh, above where the stock price is, sometimes it's below, uh, and depending if it's call or, or a put, uh, there it will be in or out of the money. Uh, hopefully, it's a quick rundown of what that is. So what uh, a typical option buyer is trying to do is to buy a call today, uh, and usually the cost of that call is much lower than the price of the stock, and if the stock goes up, 
a buck, two bucks, three bucks, whatever that is, uh, between now and the option expiration date, typically the value of the options go up and you'll make money. And it's a leveraged bet. Uh, and he's talking about, okay, he's making money on his option. Should he exercise the right to buy it? So uh, say it's at 50, it goes to, he buys a, a 55 strike and it goes to $60. Should he just sell the option outright or execute it, buy it 55 and then sell it in the market for 60? Uh, and I would say uh, that depends on how much time's left. So typically it's best to sell the option itself because not only are you getting what's called the, eva the, the difference uh, between the, the strike price and the current price, so say 55 to $60, so $5 a share, Plus, there's some sort of time value that goes into um, the value of that option as well, meaning uh, between now and the expiration, there's additional value uh, in that time value. So it's typically best to sell the option and you'll have, you know, you'll be able to sell it for more money. Uh, sometimes that could be not the case, or maybe you're talking about when it does expire, should you exercise it? And then it doesn't, you know, really matter too much uh, except for commissions and how that works out with your broker. Uh, so I hope that gives you a good rundown of when and how you should execute your option, uh, your call option strategy. But I'm a bigger fan of selling options for everybody else out there. But options, once again, are still pretty complicated. Now, a recent survey produced information that most Americans do not or will not consider them well, themselves wealthy unless their net worth is about 30 times that of the median net worth for American households. So I'll share the baseline dollar amount that people believe represents wealth attainment in a minute or two. But first, let's look at this topic. Now, the research, by the way, was published by MarketWatch.com. And we get that the median net worth of Americans currently hover at about $68,000. Let's round up $69,000 per household. So most Hard-working Americans are far from millionaires, and in fact, one in five Americans say they have more credit card debt than they do in emergency savings, plus uh, less than 40% of Americans report they have enough savings to cover a $1,000 emergency room visit or car repair. Certainly, that's not a, a good thing. So what's holding Americans back from achieving their dreams, their riches? Besides the fact that most people don't earn big money, all sorts of expenses take their toll. And this is really the biggest problems, mo problem most people have. Uh, it's almost always that people have a spending problem over an earning problem. Most people always say, I have to make more money and then I will be in the financial situation that I need to be in. And in reality, it's about adjusting lifestyle, adjusting expenses to how much somebody is making. Okay, and there's the cost of raising children, li obviously living expenses, medical emergencies, taxes, and, and typically bad spending habits. They all correlate to bad savings habits. So if you see a reflection of your situation in this news, can you modify your ways? The survey reports that good financial modeling may be easier for certain groups. For example, more millennials partake in financial planning than baby boomers. Millennials are much more likely to take advantage of free financial planning resources and money management apps, things like Mint.com, etc. So use the tools that are out there. 
not only to create a budget, but track your spending. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, I spend money on this, this, and this, and they leave out things that maybe they don't spend on it every month. But they spend it on every two or three months, and that's not part of the budget. Right, so make sure that you you get a handle on where your, your your boat's leaking, your financial boat's leaking. I think that's the most important part when it comes to personal finances is just making sure that you're not wasting money, you're not doing anything that just doesn't really make sense for the income level that you currently have. Now, what is that dollar amount that represents personal wealth achievement? Well, it's $2.4 million. That's the average net worth that the average American says will be a point where they have reached wealth. So if you're at that level, $2.4 million, congratulate yourself. And if you're not there yet, keep working, keep fighting, not only to make more money, both with your investments, but with your career, but also, like I said, making sure your boat isn't leaking. But for now, I invite your financial investing questions. I want to hear from you. Our anytime line is open at 888.99 chart. Now, what's our featured talking point today? It's 10 stocks that account for all of the S&P 500's first half gains. I dipped into this a little bit last week, but I want to get a little more details, help you understand exactly where the market was for the first half, what stocks led it, and if that is sustainable or not. I also have some other ones as well. How the tech sector is getting a downgrade by Morgan Stanley and why that is. Then... Pension, pension benefits, and this applies a little bit to Social Security as well, how to choose your pension benefits, okay? We're going to talk about that. And then lastly, how to maximize your retirement income. That's uh, For most people, that's our goal, is to reach a level where we have enough income to just have financial freedom. You know, retirement for people, people are very different. One person retirement might mean staying home with the grandkids and you know not spending a whole bunch of money because that's their passion, that's their joy. They they want to be homebodies. Others want to travel around the world. Others maybe a little bit in between. Maybe they have expensive hobbies like golf. So it's all about maximizing your retirement income so that you have financial freedom. So we're going to talk about that as well. So we can take a, also take a quick look at the markets today. Uh, it was a solid up day, uh, even though underneath the surface, the credit markets didn't seem to to corroborate, corroborate the move in the markets, uh, and you still have uh, a lot of catching up to do with the S&P and our domestic markets with the foreign markets who have really had a tough year on the back of a strong dollar, uh, etc. So still think we're in kind of a rolling top in the markets. You know, we're going to get rallies. I've said this for a while. Uh, we're going to get rallies, and those rallies uh, still remain guilty until proven innocent, but nice day in the market. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for making time for Invest Talk. And if you listen in a, on a regular basis, you'll likely hear a pattern on our presentation straightforward information and unbiased analysis. It is by design. Steve and I do our best to make the complex understandable. We always, always appreciate your input and your feedback. So please call now at 888-99-CHART. It's a Monday Invest Talk 
We're already into the second week of July and your portfolio needs some attention. If you live in Northern California, you could schedule a meeting with Steve in San Jose on July 18th, or you can call Justin right now. He's here, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Kumar in San Mateo. How you doing, Kumar? I'm doing good, Justin. How are you? Doing great. What can I do for you? I have a question on 401k. So this is my first time getting enrolled into 401k. I joined this job. Uh, okay. I think it's been a three months so far, and uh, they have uh, scheduled some sessions go to go over 401k. But prior to that, okay. I just want to get. I th- I know the basics of 401k. It's like the company matches whatever you put in, depending on the percentage of the company. Uh, but mm-hmm. besides that, I heard some people say within the 401k you can also put that money for investing. So can you explain me more about that? Like instead of just money sitting there. Yeah. So most 401k, all 401k plans have some sort of set fund lineup. So they have a a list of mutual funds uh, from all different types, large cap, mid cap, small cap, value and growth. Um, There'll be foreign uh, uh, options as well, foreign investment options, like uh, international mutual funds. Uh, There'll be bond funds. There'll be what is called either a money market account or a a stable value fund, which uh, basically are super conservative and, you know, you won't earn a lot of money, but they'll, you know, your money won't go down if the market goes down, etc. So you'll have a list of those funds and you have to allocate them. Uh, And it could be, you know, 5% in this fund, 10% in that fund, etc. And you have to choose that. Uh, And that's something like our active 401k subscription service will help you do that quarterly, give you recommendations on how to make that those, uh, those recommendations. But uh, you can also, you know, do it on your own. uh, And there'll be different ways that you can do it, different strategies you can deploy, uh, and that's really up to you. Does that make sense, Kumar? This is on top. Is this, this is on top, yes, of the savings. Oh, we're going to break. Kumar, why don't you stay on the line and I'll answer more questions, okay? Here's where I get to ask you a question or two. Are you satisfied with how your portfolio is performing? Could you do better? Would you like free guidance? Well, you can call right now, ask a question on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Is your portfolio doing as well as it could, as well as it should? If you don't know, or if you think not, you may benefit from a free portfolio review. Invest Talk Steve Peasley is coming up to San Jose on July 18th. That's just nine days. If you want to get in on this opportunity, register now at investtalk.com. Justin's here, and he's waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. Now, the S&P... 500 has returned about 3% through the first half of the year, going through the end of June uh, in total return. And, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, nothing wrong with it. Uh, but it's obviously been volatile, choppy. You had a big sell-off in, uh, in, in late January, early February. You had a rally and then another sell-off and then a kind of a slow motion rally through uh, kind of the, the second quarter 
not a, not a huge rally by any means, but uh, certainly uh, an up move in the markets despite the sell-off in global markets. But what's really interesting is that the first half returns are attributed to just 10 stocks. 10 equities are up in the S&P for the year. And they actually account for 122% of the return. Meaning, if you own the other 490, uh, you'd been down for the year. Uh, and those 10 are... Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Netflix, Facebook, Google, Ma MasterCard, Visa, Adobe, and NVIDIA. So certainly all large cap companies, all large cap growth companies. The largest contributor was Amazon, 36% of total return for the S&P. Microsoft was 18, Apple 15, and Netflix 15%. Uh, you know, and this base is based on weighting. You know, uh, S&P is what is called market cap weighted. Meaning, the larger the company, the bigger percentage of the of the index it is. So the largest weighting is Apple because it's the largest company. It was uh, up to 10% for the year, but it counted for 15% of the total return of that 3%, right? Because of that weighting. Amazon is about 2.1% of the S&P and was up about 45% in the year, and once again, 36% return. Netflix was up 106% for the first half of the year, and certainly a stock that's kind of crazy valuation, but it's only 0.4% of the S&P because of the, the size of it. And that 106%, though, accounted for 15% of the total return. So what you're seeing is a market that's narrowing, a market where the money is flowing, continues to flow into the large cap names, despite most of them being very excessively valued. Not to say they're bad companies. Uh, all those companies I listed are, are certainly good companies, profitable companies, and and are probably fine investments long term. Uh, but it's showing you that large cap growth names were the, the outperformer, even though going into the, 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 the end of the second quarter, that didn't uh, hold up. But for the full first half of the year, it did. And this is typically not a great thing, typically not a, a, a sustainable endeavor, a sustainable trend. You can't just have the 10 of the largest pretty much companies in the S&P holding it all up uh, and shows that you, you need some other stocks to really take the lead because you can't have this divergence for too much longer. Let's go to Lee in San Mateo. How you doing, Lee? Hey, I'm doing just fine. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was Thanks for wondering if you could explain to me how can you tell whether stock is overvalued or undervalued? What should I look? Well, that is the holy grail of questions. <laughs> Um, it, it, there are various factors. There, there are many factors, both what do we call qualitative and quantitative. Mm -hmm. Qualitative okay. are things like brand strength, uh, things like the management of the company, you know, who the CEO and the board of directors uh, consist of, uh, what their okay. patents are on their technology, things like that, things that are uh, difficult to really put a value on. 
And then there are quantitative, and those are things like earnings yield, uh, cash flow, dividend, growth rate of sales, growth rate of earnings, profitability metrics like return on equity, return on invested capital. Uh, then there's uh, ratios like P ratios or uh, enterprise value to EBITDA ratios. There are a lot of f factors that go into this. Uh, and some companies, uh, their, their val values, each one of those things are valued differently. For example, uh, Apple's ecosystem, right, and their, uh, their, their, their client base that are tied into the uh, iOS operating system, that is what is called a competitive advantage, a moat that is qual qualitative, not quantitative. Uh, and that's very important I for see. them. Uh, and very a lot of technology companies, their patents are very important to them. Whereas maybe a restaurant, that's not really that important to their valuation. You know, what's more important is the value of their real estate, the value of their cash flows. Uh, same with uh, maybe a, a REIT, a, a real estate investment trust. What is the value and the strength of the, their, their, their uh, uh, buildings they own and the strength of their tenants, the strength of the economy in the regions that they operate in, those type of things. So how to over, you know, how to say that? That is extremely complex, and that's what we do and what all professionals do on a daily basis to try to figure that out. So keep learning and keep figuring out what factors matter most to each stock that you're looking at. I hope that helped. I know it wasn't the best answer, but hope that helped. Tomorrow on Invest Talk, Asian trading ministers are planning to create the world's biggest trading block. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Our podcast continues next. First, good reason number five for a portfolio checkup with Steve. Steve says that many portfolios he looks at are weighted in just one or two sectors. A diverse mix of market sectors is so important to the health of a retirement portfolio. Steve can help you reorganize your retirement portfolio. He can make suggestions about the sectors of the future. And if you'd like, a KPP financial program that fits your goals and your life situation. There's never a cost for Invest Talk listeners and no sales pitch or obligation of any kind ever. To schedule your one-on-one -on -one conversation with Steve, just go to investtalk.com and click on the Invest Talk tab and then Portfolio Review or you can call 888-99-CHART and follow the prompts. And now let's continue with the podcast. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, where their number one mission is helping you grow and protect your money. And it's easy for you to find out just how KPP can do that. Go to investtalk.com, hover your mouse over the InvestTalk Programs link, roll down, and read about one of their many investment strategies. There's a program to match your investing risk tolerance. Now, the phones are open and Justin's waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Kevin from Seattle. I had a question about uh, PCG, PG&E Energy. I know you guys have talked about them in the past and, you know, with all the wildfires. Just wondering if you guys still think it's a good buy at this point. It took a pretty good hit uh, yesterday, and uh, I've noticed a lot of lawyers being retained on behalf of shareholders, and I just wasn't sure if that um, was a more ominous sign um, of 
maybe the future of the company, or if you guys still think that uh, it might be a, a buy at this point now that it's below 40. Um, so if you could maybe give uh, your opinion on what you think a good buy point would be if this is it, um, and I'd appreciate it. I'll be listening on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. All right, he's looking at PG&E Corporation. PCG is the symbol. They are a, a utility company, and they operate in northern and central California. And they, uh, we, we, right, we did buy this uh, for clients uh, late last year, early this year. Uh, I don't remember the exact date. Uh, down a little bit on it, definitely, but it's starting to rally uh, from a low of about thirty-seven dollars and thirty cents. Now it's at forty-five oh nine. And uh, there's been some news on uh, some rulings in relation to those fires, like uh, the caller uh, talked about. And there's some potential liabilities, and uh, they're certainly going to have to pay out some claims. It's just a matter of how much. And typically when the market sees a lot of obscure uh, problems down the line or, or payouts down the line, uh, the market doesn't like uncertainty. Uh, now, one thing is certain. And this certainly is that they're not going to pay a dividend uh, in the near term uh, until the uh, amount of liabilities that uh, they're going to have to pay is figured out. Uh, and so the stock has certainly uh, taken uh, a huge hit because of it. Uh, it was at $71.57. It's a 52-week high back in mid to late last year. And I do think that once the once all the litigation uh, is cleared up, the stock will head back to fifty mid fifties, low sixties at least. Uh, certainly, there'll be some uh, longer term valuation hits simply because of what they're going to have to pay out. Uh, but I don't see their uh, liabilities being so much to bankrupt them or do anything that's going to permanently. Uh, impair the business by any stretch and it's certainly one of the best and strongest utilities uh over the long term the, the biggest risk is that it kind of wallows around here between the high 30s and, and mid 40s for a while as lawyers do their thing and they tend to draw drag these things out because they like to earn their their hourly wages right uh some of them would like a settlement as well because they earn even more money that way so uh, there's still going to be a lot of fight, uh, and but I do think once it is clarified, their dividend will be also reinstituted. What will that level be? We don't know yet as well. So certainly higher risk, uh, much higher risk than the average utility, uh, but much higher upside than the average utility as well because I do think it will revert back in that low 60 number, which is uh, you know about 30% higher than here. So you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to be patient. But it could be something that's worthwhile. Uh, and so we still own it for clients, and we do think that will be cleared up in the uh, short to medium term. Uh, but the risk is that it could drag on longer than expected. So that was PCG, PG&E Corporation. And this is a good example of risk that most investors don't realize, they don't understand. Uh, you know, you, they think there could be bad earnings announcements, maybe the CEO leaves, uh, but, you know, huge lawsuits are fairly rare, uh, and they rarely take down the company, especially a strong company with a long tenure, right? But 
this is why you diversify. You know, we always say you don't want to have more than uh, we do. Five percent is the max allocation we do to to any one uh, company, and for an individual, I think only 10% is as high as you should go, especially if it's your own company stock. This happened with Enron, WorldCom, you know, those companies went under. But you could just have a company whose stock gets impaired like this right before, say, retirement, right? And it's uh, 30, 40% of your portfolio, and that can change your retirement picture. So always try to limit the uh, amount of assets that you have in one particular company and try not to over leverage yourself and get in a sticky situation. So let's talk a little bit about that. And, uh, and it's a good segue to Morgan Stanley's recent downgrade of the tech sector. And I talked a little bit earlier about the stocks that are keeping up the S&P, and most of them are tech-related. And what Morgan Stanley sees is that there's leaks in the sector's gas tank. Now, for the year, the tech sector has gained nearly 14%. Well, after today, you know, the, uh, the S&P is up about 4%. And this is their second downgrade for the sector this year. And they see a number of growing red flags. And one is that in, they see a rolling bear market where, you know, we have a lot of volatility, a lot of sell-offs. And there's been many sectors that have sold off. Financials, uh, industrials, certainly foreign stocks because of the strong dollar. Uh, the the high yield bond market is starting to show some cracks, and when the risk off happens, eventually it touches every corner of the market. And they don't see the tech sector being immune to the change in attitude towards risky assets. And the, I don't know if you've heard this: is that people are saying the tech sector is no longer cyclical or it's low risk because it's tech is such a large part of our lives these days. And basically what that's saying is that this time it's different. And newsflash, it isn't. And it never is. Now in the coming weeks, we're going to get the earnings season hitting us. And earnings for the tech sector are supposed to grow 25% over a year ago period. And you could say, well, it's up 14% in the first half. You, know, you double that, it's 28%. That's not too off from what earnings expectations are. However, 25% is a lot. It's a lot to expect for companies to continue to increase that amount. And are they increasing that on accounting that is reasonable? Accounting that is acceptable? Is this gap accounting or non-gap? You know, is this Tesla type accounting? Or is this GE type of accounting, which they're having their issues with uh, certain types of accounting practices, right? Or is it companies that are more conservative, typically, like Apple? Their accounting tends to be very conservative. So the P ratio of the, of the tech sector is certainly higher, well above the average of the rest of the S&P. And while you know maybe its uh, valuations aren't as stretched because a lot of the companies that are losing money, like we saw in the late 90s, the first tech bubble, those are private companies still. You know the unicorns, and many of them are the ones that are going to be going to fall off, but they will eventually be reflected in the public markets as well. 
And then you go into trade barriers, trade war. And no industry has benefited more from free trade than the tech sector, right? Chips being produced in Taiwan and South Korea, etc., and China. And moving freely between Asia and America. And that has certainly helped the profits of the tech industry. And how much will those things matter? Will that affect that 25% earnings growth? And how will, remember, not only is, is do investors focus on, okay, what happened last quarter, but what's most important is what are companies saying for the next quarter, the balance of the year, 2019. And I would imagine that this trade war is going to certainly affect projections for earnings, earnings going forward. Now here's where, to, where I get to ask you a, a few questions. Are you satisfied with how your portfolio is performing? Now we've assembled a treasure trove of information to help you improve your results. And you can do that via investtalk.com, being an investtalk insider and subscribing. Or you can give us a call. You can call me right now. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. In just over one week from today, Talk Steve Peasley will be conducting one-on-one -on -one personalized portfolio reviews at no cost for Talk listeners. So if you live anywhere in Northern California, you should mark July 18th on your calendar and save the date to sit down in person with Steve in San Jose. Chances are very good that Steve Peasley can show you how to best maximize your return on investment. Space is limited, so register now at investtalk.com. Simply roll over the Invest Talk menu link, scroll down, and click Portfolio Review. Then submit your request. But now, got a question for Justin? He's here. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. My name is Teresa. I'm calling from Orange County. I recently started working for the state of California, and I contribute 7.5% of my salary to a pension fund through CalPERS. Um, it's supposed to almost match my salary at the time of retirement for basically the rest of my life. Um, and now my question is, since there is a lot of talk going on about childhood debt and, and mismanaging funds, I was wondering if I should be worried about them not being able to pay my retirement when I'm at that age. I'm currently 27 years old, and I plan on retiring when I'm 62. Thank you for the great show, and I would love to hear your opinion. All right, she is talking about uh, what is kind of rare these days, getting some sort of a pension. Now, obviously, it's more common in the uh, public sector, right, working for the government uh, entities of some kind than it is for the private sector who have mainly moved to 401ks. But uh, certainly, it's, uh, it's a thing that, that happens, uh, and there's still the pension benefit benefit uh, guarantee corporation which in the case of a default of CalPERS they will pay for a portion of your benefits uh, if, if it's part of that you have to look if it's part of Cal, uh, of the pension benefit uh, guarantee corporation you got to look at that uh, and if it is you'll you'll get guaranteed some benefits maybe not all of it uh, there's certainly a worry uh, that that CalPERS will not pay out because of their underfunding liabilities California typically runs a large budget deficit. Uh, they're typically poor with their management of uh, budget. However, 
It's one of the best economies of the world. I think it's, what, fifth or sixth largest economies of the world on its own. So there's always going to be the ability for them to raise taxes. You know, they did that on the wealthy recently, and it's certainly a, a state with very high income tax rates as a, as a state and pushed other pushed a lot of wealthy people to move to other states like uh, Texas and Florida, Oregon, etc. And I don't see that going away. So, I, you know, I wouldn't be too worried about CalPERS even though they're in a tough situation. Uh, but I would look at the pension benefit to a guarantee corporation, and I would at least save a little bit on your own. You know, open an IRA, uh, Roth IRA, contribute to that, uh, and, and try to do that as well on top of your CalPERS pension. So I hope that helped. Definitely something to think about. Uh, and a good segue to one of the things I wanted to talk about, and that is about pension benefits. And typically today we speak about retirement savings with a three-legged stool of retirement income personal savings, social security benefits, and pension. And like I said, times have kind of changed where most companies don't want to be exposed to the long-term liabilities of having a pension plan. But if you're one of the fortunate fortunate ones, like uh, that caller who is from Orange County, which is uh, where I live, you know, you'll, 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 you're fortunate uh, that you, if you have one of those, Okay, so the biggest question though is choosing when to receive benefits. The first is how you have to decide how you want to get it or when you want to get it. Now, typical pension payouts, just like Social Security, say you get a certain amount at 62, and but if you wait to get benefits till you're 65 or 68 or 70, maybe you'll get a larger payout. So that's the first thing you have to figure out, whether it's pension or Social Security. And typically, it's best to wait longer. Then you have to decide how you want to receive the benefits. It can be a, a lump sum, and that could be a great way to do it. And that allows you to roll that amount into an IRA, and you can, can now control the tax hit, right? If you take that as income to you, suddenly it becomes taxable. It's taxable income to you. If you roll into an IRA, now you can invest that amount and defer those taxes for as long as possible. And what it allows you to do is avoid the unfunded pension obligations like CalPERS, like uh, that caller talked about. And that is a real risk, even though uh, there is the Pension Benefit uh, Guarantee Corporation. Now, you could also take it like an annuity, where you get a payout for the rest of your life. And then there's beneficiary options as well, where you get a lower dollar amount, but when you pass, your spouse will continue to get your benefits until he or she passes away. So that's an option as well. And there's a lot of factors to consider. And here here are they. How old you are? How old your spouse is? What about your respective life expectancies? How is your health? Right? If if you're healthy, or you're not healthy, but your spouse is, you know, uh, doing the benefit, uh, uh, spousal benefit is probably best. What other sources of income do you have? On top of that, will it cover your expenses? Do you have life insurance? What impact will your death have? Etc. On the next Invest Talk, Asian trade ministers are planning to create the world's biggest trading block 
That's tomorrow. But now, Justin is here, he's ready, and waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. This is Eric from Southern Utah. I had a question about hedging. Right now, with the VIX around 12, pretty low, I was wondering if this would be a good time to look at uh, an ETF to possibly do some hedging. Uh, the ones in particular I was thinking about are SH, the ProShare Short S&P 500, VXX, or UVXY. I know that VXX and UVXY are more short-term trades because they're they're risky, more, a lot more risky than obviously being in SH. But I want to get your thoughts on that. So anyway, if you could look into that, that would be great. Uh, I look forward to hearing your response. Thanks. Bye. I know, he's looking at ways to hedge the market for the second half of the year uh, as we go into it. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't see a problem with that based on the underlying fundamentals and, and uh, uh, pattern of the of the market. I would not use VXX and uh, one of the other VIX-related ETFs um, and simply because what they do is they buy options on the VIX. Uh, and I talked about earlier about options and why it's typically not the best thing to do. It's not, it's not a great uh, way to make money long term. Certainly, you can get lucky, make a couple hits, and, and earn a lot of money real quick. That's certainly true. Uh, however, uh, unless you're well-versed in it, it's very difficult. And, and uh, if you're constantly buying options like you are in VXX, for example, that's going to decay the value of the ETF, and it has, and there's reverse splits, and it's certainly not a good vehicle uh, uh, unless there's... Time, you know, you're buying it at the very right time, and that's always difficult to, to time. Uh, so, if I'm going to hedge the market, I'm definitely going to use something like SH, which uh, is corresponds to the inverse of the S&P. So, if the S&P goes down one percent, this will go up one percent, uh, etc. And the very little loss to option option uh, purchases, etc. So, I would only be using uh, SH, not those other ones. Let's go to Mike in San Jose. How you doing, Mike? Hi, not too bad. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a federal employee, and I was listening to you when you were talking about Calper at the tail end of it. Uh, I have a trade saving plan, and if I'm 61, plan to work till I'm 70, and then retire. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is because yep. then I can collect Social Security at the max. And uh, TSP, should I leave it in? If I take it out, is it better? Which one do you like, mutual funds or ETL? Well, you know that that's 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 a broad thing. That's like saying, do I buy uh, you know real estate? Do I buy apartments or do I buy single family homes? Um, you know they, they both oh, can work. Okay. It's just about what you're buying, etc. You know, so, so they're just funds. They're just a, a group of assets. So I can't say one or or, or the other. Um, if you do take the lump sum, make sure you roll it into some sort of an IRA, which could be managed by somebody like us, KPP Financial, or another advisor, or you can do it yourself. Um, and then you can invest in. We we do individual stocks. We don't use funds. But uh, if you want to do it yourself, you could use uh, ETFs. You can use mutual funds. Typically, the ETFs are more tax uh, efficient. But you know, in an IRA, that doesn't really matter because there's no real tax consequences from uh, a trading perspective or a daily on a daily basis. It's all about your distributions. So uh, well, you know, there, I wouldn't say I one or the other. KPP, and then I want to also mm -hmm. withdraw income. Are you able to do the individual stock like you buy it and you still be able to get income, like let's say, I don't know, whatever, to supplement my retirement, whatever? 
Yeah, yeah, we have we have incomes, different income strategies, and clients get a certain uh, dollar amount. You know, maybe they have a million dollars. We invest that for income. They get a hundred, a thousand dollars a month, two thousand dollars a month, whatever they want, and that automatically go, is sent to them. So, yeah, there's 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 certainly uh, that possibility. Nothing. Uh, that's that's a very simple process. Make sense, Mike? Okay, for the next twenty years. Say that one more time. I didn't get that. Okay, so uh, let's say uh, let's say uh, you, uh, they give you, I give you a million million dollar or whatever. Okay, million dollar as a minimum. But uh, can can I, can I count on that some kind of source of income and growth for the next twenty years? Because I'm only you know I'll be retiring at seventy. The way everybody is living now, they they live all the way to ninety five. 99 years old. Yeah. So I don't want my income yeah. to get depleted. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's, uh, that depends on how much money you're taking out, uh, the market, obviously how well we do. Uh, that's something we work out with clients. You know, we have financial planning tools that say, okay, you, your life expectancy is, like you said, 99 maybe because uh, you're in good health. What is a reasonable amount that you should be able to take out per month and live off of uh, in retirement? So that's something we work, th we work through with you. Thanks for the call, Mike. That's it for today, another Invest Talk radio show, which will be soon posted on our podcast player at investtalk.com. Your questions made it all work out today, and I hope you learned something of value. So thank you, and please come back tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein, and Steve Peasley will be here tomorrow. Until then, good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for listeners to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are principals of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, which retains all rights.